Hey everyone, um, it's been a while since Riley put out an episode. They said that it's been a little hectic in the real world so that a show wouldn't work anymore. I don't know about him though, something about being cooped up inside all day. Um, even though I am doing it at his behest and it's a bad thing keeping me in, it makes me want to create. So... I guess here I am. Um, I don't remember how this started anymore. What was my theme song? Someone put my theme song at the beginning of this episode. It's been a while. Um, But I guess I'm here to look at horror movies and recap them, even though I don't want to watch them. Um, yeah, what have you been up to? I haven't been up to much. This kind of two-way conversation doesn't really work for a podcast, does it? Anyways, uh, Dr. Sleep is uh, marketed as Stephen King's Dr. Sleep, I guess. It is a 2019 American supernatural horror film written and directed by Mike Flanagan. It's based on the 2013 novel of the same name by Stephen King, a sequel to King's 1977 novel, The, Shi- the Shining? The Shining is a sequel? Why does The Shining ne- need a sequel? Mike, Mike, why did you give... Stephen. Anyways, the film, which also serves as a sequel to the film adaptation of The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick, is set several decades after the events of the original and combines elements of the 1977 novel as well. Can you imagine making a movie that's a sequel to a Stanley Kubrick movie? It's like making a podcast and then claiming that it's like the Mabimbim. It's not going to work. Ewan McGregor plays the lead role as Danny Torrance, a man with psychic abilities who struggles with childhood trauma. Rebecca Ferguson, Kaylee Curran, and Cliff Curtis have supporting roles. In the film, Dan Torrance, now an adult, must protect a young girl with similar powers from a cult known as the True Knot, whose members prey on children to extend their lives. That doesn't sound too bad. Who doesn't want an extended life? Um, anyways, I'm looking over the Wikipedia summary right now, and it looks like a pretty good, pretty good page. It's a pretty solid cast list that kind of describes the characters instead of just saying that someone's playing someone else. And it has a detail of connections to the other movie, which is a little odd considering it's a it's a sequel. It is a connection. There's a pretty good connections and themes section and release and reception. And critical response, it looks like, has a 77% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So, kind of okay. 
there's a section on the Wikipedia page for the future, which seems pretty spooky to me, because I don't want Wikipedia claiming to know what's going to happen. Sometimes they don't even know what's happening right now. Alright, um, pretty good Wikipedia page overall, though, so let's go ahead and get into the plot. In 1980, sometime after the traumatic experiences in the Haunted Overlook Hotel, Danny Torrance and his mother Wendy live in Florida. Danny sees one of the Overlook's ghosts, the rotting woman from room 237, in his bathroom. Dick Halloran, a benevolent spirit, explains that the ghosts feed on Danny's psychic ability, his shining. That's why it's called The Shining. And there's two of them, which is why this one's The Shining. Now that the hotel's been abandoned, the starving ghosts are pursuing Danny. Halloran teaches him to lock them in imaginary boxes in his mind. Meanwhile, the true knot, a cult of psychic vampires led by Rose the Hat, extend their lifespans by consuming quote-unquote steam, a psychic essence released as they torture and kill those who has The Shining. Hold on. Psychic vampires led by Rose the Hat. And they consume steam, which they get from torturing and killing shining people. Okay. It's like Pokemon. You hunt down the shinies. In 2011, Danny, now quote-unquote Dan has become an alcoholic to suppress his shining. After stealing money from a single mother following a one-night stand and leaving the woman's toddler son next to her passed-out body on a pool of vomit, Dan realizes he's hit rock bottom. That sure sounds like it, bud. The uh, run-on sentence is also hit rock bottom. He moves to a small New Hampshire town and befriends Billy Freeman, who finds him an apartment. Sleeping in the new apartment, Dan wakes up to find a ghostly arm wrapped around him. Dan slowly moves away and has almost escaped the bed when the spirit grabs his wrist. Looking at her face, he recognizes her as the single mother he's previously slept with and robbed. That's spooky. She apparently choked on her vomit after he left her. Tells him that her neighbors have yet to find her and her son's bodies. That's spooky. She neglected her son often in life, so the neighbors became used to his crying and did not check on them when he cried after his mother's death, resulting in his own death, who also when he was left unattended. Dan looks down to see the glazed-over eyes of the woman's son staring back at him. Okay. Billy becomes Dan's AA sponsor. Rehabilitating, Dan becomes a hospice orderly. He uses his shining to comfort dying patients, who nickname him, quote, Dr. Sleep, end quote. He also begins receiving telepathic communications from Abra Stone, a young Pokemon whose shining is even more powerful than his. Meanwhile, Rose and her lover, Crow Daddy... Y'all, this movie's about a guy named Crow Daddy... Ro 
Rose and her lover Crow Daddy observe a teenager named Snakebite Andy who has the ability to physically, con- to psychically control individuals. Y'all, this is anime. They later recruit Andy into the True Knot after feeding her the steam of Violet, a young girl murdered by the cult earlier. In 2019, the True Knot are starving as the steam has become increasingly rare. They abduct a young boy, Bradley, and torture him to death for steam. A teenage Abra senses the event. Pretty sure a teenage Abra is a cadabra. And her distress alerts both Dan in the form of the word red rum, parentheses, murder spelled backwards, and parentheses, appearing on his wall, and Rose. Rose sets her sights on Abra, planning to extract her steam. Realizing the danger, Abra visits Dan in person and tells him she can track the cult if she touches Bradley's baseball glove. Okay. Dan refuses to help, telling her to suppress her shining to stay safe. That night, Rose projects her consciousness across the country and infiltrates Abra's mind, but finds that Abra has set an imaginary trap, which injures Rose. After cult member Grandpa Flick dies of starvation, Rose sends the remaining members after Abra. This isn't super spooky, this is just anime. Halloran visits Dan a final time, telling him to protect Abra as Halloran once protected him. Dan tells Billy about the true knot, and the two travel to the murder scene and exhume Bradley's body to retrieve his glove. They recruit Abra's father, Dave, and have him guard Abra's body as she projects herself to a local campsite, luring the cult there. Dan and Billy shoot most of them to death. It's kind of funny in a horror movie when you can solve your problems just by shooting people. It makes for a very weird read in a Wikipedia summary. Anyways, Dan and Billy shoot most of them dead, though a dying Andy compels Billy into suicide. Meanwhile, Crow Daddy kills Dave. Y'all, this motherfucker's name is Crow Daddy. Sorry. Meanwhile, Crow Daddy kills... (laughs) Mean... Anyways, meanwhile, Crow Daddy kills Dave and abducts Abra, drugging her to suppress her shining. Dan telepathically contacts Abra, who lets him possess her, and manipulates Crow into crashing his car, killing him and freeing Abra. While Dan and Abra reunite, Rose consumes the cult's remaining stockpile of steam, healing her wounds and vowing revenge. As a last resort, Dan brings Abra to the Overlook, believing it will be... Well, believing it will be as dangerous for Rose as it is for them. He starts the hotel's boiler and explores the dormant building, quote, awakening it, end quote, with his shining. He visits the rooms where his alcoholic father, Jack, influenced by the Overlook, attempted to murder him and Wendy. 
At the hotel bar, Dan is greeted by, quote, Lloyd, end quote, a ghostly bartender who strongly resembles Jack Torrance. The apparition attempts to coax Dan into drinking again, but Dan ultimately declines. Way to go, Dan. Rose arrives at the Overlook. Dan and Abra pull her consciousness into Dan's mind, which resembles the Overlook's endless hedge maze. Dan tries to trap her in an imaginary box, but fails. Rose, attracted by Dan shining, invites him to join the cult, but he refuses. When she overpowers him and begins consuming his steam, Dan opens the boxes, releasing the Overlook's hungry ghosts from his mind. This is Luigi's Mansion. This is a Luigi's Mansion anime. Luigi's Mansion anime. Anyways, Rose being a psychic vampire is vulnerable to direct attacks by the ghosts. She's a psychic type, which means that she's weak to ghosts. They brutally kill her, consuming her steam and then possessing Dan. That's spooky. He and the ghost pursue Abra to room 237, where she tells the hotel that Dan sabotaged the boiler. Dan, regaining momentary control, tells her to flee. Possessed, he rushes to the boiler room, but regains control before the hotel can make him deactivate it. In his last moment, Dan sees a vision of himself as a child being embraced by his mother, Wendy. Abra watches helplessly as the hotel burns down just as the authorities approach. Some time later, Abra talks to Dan's spirit. They assure each other that they'll both be okay, and Dan disappears. Abra's mother learns to adjust with her daughter's powers, especially in communicating with the spirit of her deceased husband. As her mother leaves the room, Abra notices the ghost of the rotting woman from the Overlook is in the bathroom, and prepares to lock the ghost up just as Danny did. That's Dr. Sleep. Doesn't seem super necessary. Uh, anyways, speaking of things that are ultimately unnecessary, Maniac Cop is a 1988 American action slasher film directed by William Lustig, written by Larry Cohen and starring Tom Atkins, Bruce Campbell, Lorraine Landon, Richard Roundtree, William Smith, Robert Zadar, and Cherie North. Zadar plays the title character, a murderous ex-police officer returned from the dead, and seeks revenge on the people who wronged him. Uh, yeah. So uh, it has two sequels. There's Maniac Cop 2 and Maniac Cop 3. His uh, names are pretty self-explanatory. And uh, I gotta say, the Wikipedia page is uh, pretty alright. Not too great, but not too bad. Apparently, they're going to remake the movie, uh, but it doesn't look like it's going to be done. It's been in development hell since 2017. It's also going to be a television show, according to this. Who knows, though? The reception says that 46% of the surveyed critics gave the film a positive review. But they do say that it is a cult classic, so... It's probably bad, but in a way that people like. Anyways, let's recap Maniac Cop. In New York City, 
A waitress on her way home is assaulted by two muggers and seeks aid from a police officer who breaks her neck. That's spooky. Over the next two nights, this maniac cop commits more murders, prompting Lieutenant McRae, who's told by his superiors to suppress eyewitness accounts that the killer was wearing a police uniform, to pass on information to a journalist in an attempt to protect civilians. Unfortunately, this causes a panic and dissent among the city, results in innocent patrolmen getting shot to death or avoided on the streets by paranoid people. Alan Forrest, who suspects that her husband Jack may be the maniac cop, follows him to a hotel, where she catches him in bed with a fellow officer, Teresa Mallory. Distraught, Ellen runs out of the room, and is slain by the murderer. Jack is arrested under suspicion of murder, but McCrae believes Jack has been framed. McCrae gets Jack to tell him about his relationship with Mallory, who's attacked by the maniac cop while working undercover as a prostitute. Mallory and McCrae fight off the killer, who's deathly cold, even through his gloves, and does not appear to breathe. Though they shoot him several times, the killer appears unfazed. That's spooky. Mallory hides out in McRae's apartment while he investigates Sally Noland, the only person Mallory told about her affair. McRae follows Nolan to a warehouse where she meets with the maniac cop and refers to him as, quote, Matt, end quote. Returning to police headquarters, McRae discovers files on Matthew Cordell, a fellow officer who is imprisoned in Sing Song for police brutality and closing in on corruption in City Hall. When McCrae is looking into his past, Cordell flashes back to being mutilated and killed in a shower room in Sing Song. That's spooky. When McCrae and Mallory visit Jack, they tell him that they think Cordell is the real killer and plan to visit the chief medical examiner at Sing Sing. Did I call it Sing Song before? It's Sing Sing. Everything happens in Sing Sing. I lost my spot. There we go. When McCrae and Mallory visit Jack, they tell him they think Cordell's the real killer and plan to visit the chief medical examiner at Sing Sing. McCrae leaves to go to the clerical room, and he's attacked by Sally, who's in hysterics, convinced that Cordell is going to turn on her. That's spooky. After finding a policeman hanging in a noose, Sally, Sally is grabbed by Cordell and beaten to death. That's spooky. Hearing the commotion, Jack and Mallory break out of the interrogation room and find the corpses of numerous officers strewn about the halls of the building. Jack tells Mallory to go to McCree's car while he searches for Cordell, who disappears after throwing McCree out a window, killing him. Jack, who looks like the one responsible to the carnage to responding officers, flees with Mallory. The two go to see Sing Sing's medical examiner, who admits that while he's preparing to autopsy Cordell, the officer showed faint signs of life. The examiner secretly released Cordell into Sally's care and convinced that he was completely brain dead. During the 50th annual St. Patrick's Day parade, Jack waits outside as Mallory warns Commissioner Pike and Captain Ripley about Cordell, but the two refuse to believe her and have her arrested. Cordell stabs Pike and Ripley to death, then targets Mallory, knifing a policeman left to guard her. Mallory escapes through the window, while Jack's arrested and put in a van, which Cordell hijacks. That's spooky. 
Mallory and another officer chase the van, which Cordell takes to his warehouse hideout, running over the watchman on the way in. Cordell attacks Mallory and Jack, kills the other officer, and tries to escape in the van when backup arrives. Jack clings to the side of the van and fights for control of it, distracting Cordell and causing him to drive into a suspended pipe, which impales him. Cordell loses control of the vehicle, which crashes into the river and sinks. Afterwards, the van is fished out. As it's searched, Cordell's hand shoots out of the water. That's spooky. Everyone then realizes that Jack didn't commit the murders. Later, the mayor, confident that Cordell is dead, relaxes in his office. After the mayor's assistant leaves the office, Cordell silently appears from behind the curtain and murders the mayor. That's curtains. That's just a little bit of slasher humor for you all. Um, This movie doesn't sound very good, if I'm being perfectly honest. Uh, Yeah. Slasher movies don't seem super interesting to me. The tagline for the movie is, you have the right to remain silent, dot, 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 forever. I wish I remained silent about this one. Anyways, our next movie is going to be The Witch. The Witch. The Witch. The Vivitch is a 2015 period supernatural horror film written and directed by Robert Eggers in his feature debut. The film stars Anna Taylor-Joy, Ralph Ineson, Kate Dickey, Harvey Scrimshaw, Ellie Granger, and Lucas Dawson. The Vivitch follows a Puritan family who encounters forces of evil in the woods beyond their New England farm. Apparently this movie is really good. It raises a lot of movie. Uh, I mean, a lot of money for a movie. It uh, cost $4 million and made $40 million, which is my kind of return on investment. The Wikipedia page is also a pretty high budget. You got a lot of good pages, good things on it. Um, just a lot of good sections and a really long page. We got quotes from different... Uh, from different... Quotes... And we've got a lot of people who write in about the, the the religiosity of the movie. Looks like the movie also got a lot of rewards. So those are all listed here too. All in all, it's a good Wikipedia page. Can't say no to that. But I'm not here just to look at the page. We also got to get into the plot. It looks like in the 1960s... Hold on. I can't read. It looks like in the 1630s New England, English settler Vivillium and his family, the wife Catherine, daughter Thomason, son Caleb, and fraternal twins Mercy and Jonas are banished from Puritan Plymouth colony over a religious dispute. The family builds a farm near a large secluded forest, and Catherine bears a child, Samuel. One day, Thomason is playing peekaboo with Samuel, but then the baby disappear, abruptly disappears, and it's soon to be revealed that Evovich has stolen the unbaptized Samuel, killing him and using his remains to make a flying ointment. That's spooky. She just made a f- potion of flying? Okay. 
Catherine, devastated by Samuel's disappearance, spends her days crying and praying. While hunting with Favillium, Caleb asks if Samuel's unbaptized soul will reach heaven. Favillium encourages Caleb to not raise the question, and later reveals to Caleb that he traded Catherine's silver cup for hunting supplies. At night, Catherine questions Thomason about the disappearance of her cup and suspects her to be responsible for Samuel's ab- abduction. After the children retire to bed, they overhear their parents discussing sending Thomason away to serve another family. Early the next morning, Thomason finds Caleb preparing to check a trap in the forest and forces him to take her with him by threatening to overvake in their parents. In the Vavuds, they spot a hare, which sends their horse into a panic. Their dog Fowler chases it. Caleb pursues them. The horse throws Thomason, knocking her unconscious. Caleb becomes lost in the Vavuds and stumbles upon Fowler's disembodied bo- disemboweled body. That's spooky. He finds a hovel where a beautiful young woman seduces him. That's not very spooky. The woman's arm becomes old and decrepit and grabs Caleb. Okay, that is spooky. Vavillium finds Thomason and takes her home. Catherine angrily chastises Thomason for taking Caleb into the woods. Vavillium reluctantly admits that he sold Catherine's cup. Later that evening, Caleb finds the way home. Thomason discovers him outdoors in the rain naked and delirious from an unknown illness. When he awakens the next day, Caleb expels a bloody apple from his mouth. Caleb believes this to be Vavitchcraft. Caleb passionately proclaims his love to Christ before he dies, though Catherine believes Caleb to have been under some sort of spell. That's spooky. The twins then accuse Thomason of Vavitchcraft. In retaliation, Thomason reveals to her parents that the twins have had conversation with Black Philip, the family's billy goat. What? What? They named their billy goat Black Philip? What? Anyway, enraged, Vivillium steals Thomason and the twins inside the goat house. Thomason overhears Vivillium break down and confess to God that he's been prideful and made his family leave their old village out of stubbornness rather than sincere religious devotion. Later in the night, the three children are awakened by the sounds of rustling in the goat house and discover an old Vivillium drinking milk from the goats. Catherine awakens to a vision of Caleb holding Samuel. After a brief discussion, Caleb offers Samuel to Catherine so she may breastfeed the baby, but the baby's actually a crow that pecks at her breast. Crow Daddy's back. Hi, Crow Daddy. Welcome home. Anyway, the next day, William awakens and walks outside to find the stable destroyed, the goats eviscerated, and the twins missing and an unconscious Thomason laying nearby with blood-stained hands. That's spooky. As Thomason awakens, Black Philip gores Vivillium before her eyes, and unhinged Catherine, who now blames Thomason for the tragedies that have befet the family and accusing her of trying to seduce Vivillium and Caleb, attacks Thomason, who kills her mother with a cleaver in self-defense. Yo. Alone, Thomason enters the stables and urges Black Philip to speak to her. The goat responds by asking if Thomason would like to live deliciously. 
What? Is that a th what? I'm not gonna lie. I thought that was a Taco Bell ad. Is live was would you like to live deliciously? Really, from the Vavitch? That's spooky that I've started saying that and didn't know it was from the Vavitch. That's spooky. Good work, Black Phillip. Anyways, the goat responds by asking if Thomason would like to live deliciously and then materializes into a tall, devilishly handsome, black-clad man. Black Philip orders Thomason to remove her clothes and to sign her name in a book that appears before her. Thomason follows Black Philip into the forest where she joins a coven of viviches holding a viviches sabbath around a bonfire. The coven begins to levitate and a laughing Thomason joins them, ascending above the trees. Yeah, it's spooky. Now I'm hungry. Anyways, I think that's all the time that I have today. I'm going to go lay down and think about the fact that one of these movies had a character named Crow Daddy and another one had a goat that asked if I wanted to live deliciously. I'm really craving Taco Bell now. It's been a while since I could get that. Anyways, I hope you all have a good day, too. I know that from first-hand experience, living inside of one place all the time is a little rough, but sometimes it's what you gotta do. Maybe it'll help to make something. I know it helps me. Did I have a sign-off? <laughs>